because what would the world be without musicians? If you acknowledge the humanity and the good intentions of both sides. Back when we used to have to hunt bison with spears. We cannot change vision of another person. Underneath the anger is fear. Well, I think the biggest crisis to their business must have been the uh, run on balsa wood sticks that occurred in 1987. <laughs> so, Lee, this is so much better than sitting around inside a room on chairs and talking. Welcome to the Glider Cell Podcast. Today we'll be talking about overcoming or overriding divisions, or how people with different worldviews can learn to get along with each other. What I mean by this is that they can learn to understand each other and communicate at an altogether different or higher level. But in order to fully understand the conversation, I'll need to explain a few things first. You know how the brain has a convenient way of categorizing or separating things? For example, we have different classes at school, math, science, English, social studies. We have different buildings for some of those same departments at universities. We classify people by class, race, where they live, how they talk, level of education. Well, what if I told you that, while those classifications are convenient because it makes it so we don't have to think so much about things, they actually are hindering our progress as a civilization. I'm not the first person to suggest this by any means, but there might just be some answers in an area I like to refer to as the space between. You could define this area as being between recognizable categories or places. For example, uh, between branches of science, education, or psychology. It could imply not conforming to pre-existing formulae, definitions, or categories, whether they are political, structural, or organizational, in order to find actual solutions to problems. The space between might refer to that area between all predefined visible things, the connective tissue or matter that makes up the majority of all things in the universe, but is the least understood. You can make a strong argument that matter in this area, like thoughts, ideas, or content, can be bent, combined, and formed into the types of things, systems, and constructs that will propel individuals and society out of our state of unfulfilled potential and towards a more functional, egalitarian, just, thriving productive, creative, and fulfilling world. Our guest on today's program, Brandon Norgard, is undoubtedly doing work in the space between. As the founder of the Enlightened Worldview Project, Brandon is bringing together elements of philosophy, history, sociology, psychology, and theology as a partial list in order to create a new language of commonality and understanding. One of the things I like about the project is that it will not be the work of one person with one perspective and one approach to civilization's biggest problems. Rather, it will be an emergent process with people from different disciplines who each contribute something with the goal that we can eventually arrive at some better solutions. Perhaps Edward O. Wilson said it best in his book, Consilience, The Unity of Knowledge. Historians of science often observe that Asking the right question is more important than producing the right answer. The right answer to a trivial question is also trivial, but the right question, even when insoluble in exact form, is a guide to major discovery. Now, on to the interview. I am Brandon Norgard. I grew up in Northern California, worked for several years in IT, 
And last year, I decided to move forward with this idea, and I founded the Enlightened Worldview Project. Uh, assembled a small team, and we are planning to produce books, podcasts, and videos that are related to the central themes of the project. Uh, and uh, also, years ago, I founded the Sacramento Politics and Philosophy Group, which is a meetup group of over a thousand members. We we've had hundreds of events over the last eight years, and we've discussed just about every topic imaginable. And a lot of those ideas have come together into this project. So this is a bit of a, a tangent, but I have to ask you, and I also have to confess, being a member of the group, uh, what what led you to form that group to begin with, and what do you attribute to its success? Because there's you said over a thousand members, right? Yeah, you know, I've always been interested in in these uh, issues and. You know, reading the news and, you know, reading about uh, politics and getting into the philosophical side of things as well. And I uh, spent a little time with the uh, philosophy group when I was at the university. Uh, And afterwards, I I wanted to find if there was a a similar group for working adults, you know, that would maybe meet uh, on the weekends or something. And I just couldn't find one. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just found it. And it took off. Yeah, I'll say that it, it did take off. Um, yeah, meetings are, are really well attended. Um, what, what do you think it is about that, though, that uh, made it uh, so, so popular? I think that there's um, a general interest in meeting at uh, coffee shops, uh, meeting at, you know, pubs or whatever, and talking about all kinds of issues relating to people's lives. Uh, otherwise people, you know, they, they stay home and they think about this and they don't have anyone to talk to, or they just, you know, uh, they, they think there's, you know, a lot of, uh, acrimony out there in the news and, and they just, they want an outlet. So was, was there something that happened in perhaps one of these discussions or maybe in preparing for one of these, um, politics and philosophy discussions that got you to thinking about the future, uh, project that you would create the enlightened worldview project? You know, I'll, I'll say that I had kind of the seeds of some of these ideas planted in my mind uh, even years before I founded the group. But certainly uh, these discussions have refined a lot of my ideas over the years. So on this topic, tell us generally, what is the purpose? Uh, you've put a lot of effort and time and resources into the Enlightened Worldview Project. So what is the purpose of it? Yeah, it's a quest to promote greater peace and to resolve conflicts on a large scale through a combination of societal understanding and inner awareness, uh, which the two are interrelated and are both dependent, uh, both required for the kind of peace that we seek. Uh, So, Brandon, you have worked mostly as a software engineer, correct? Yeah. Um, why, Why does a software engineer venture into philosophy and... Is there a connection between the two? Uh, yeah, I suppose I got into IT and software engineering because I knew it was a lucrative field with a lot of job opportunities. Uh, but even in my college years, I was interested in philosophy and in the social sciences. Uh, I do see a connection between the two in that our global civilization is a bit like a large machine. The hardware is our human brains, but we run on software, which is our culture, or our psychology, and which at a society-wide level is culture. 
Nowadays, we have uh, networks of computers, physical infrastructure, working in conjunction, uh, where it seems like it is functioning as one large entity, and we call such computer networks the cloud. Human civilization is also like a cloud. Uh, Now, when civilizations clash because people have divergent and seemingly incompatible worldviews, this is the cause of unnecessary conflict. And uh, to get back to the computers, uh, how this relates to computers, computer networks have clashes sometimes as well. Uh, Sometimes computer networks are not compatible with each other. We would see that as a software problem because we want these computers to be able to to communicate with each other and work in conjunction with each other. Uh, The solution there uh, would be if we if we saw. Uh, you know, that these computer networks were not compatible with each other, we'd see that as a software uh, problem. We need to reprogram machines so that the networks can operate in harmony with each other. Uh, I think we need to do that for our human society as well. We have, uh, I guess we could say, defects in our software. Uh, If any of us uh, think that our worldview, our culture in which we were raised and our belief system Uh, If any of us think that that is the only true belief system, that all others are just wrong, I'd say that's a defect. If any of us believe that our nation is the absolute best over and above all other nations, then I'd say that's a mental software bug uh, that needs to be fixed. So so let me see if I understand this correctly. I'm going to use your same model or your metaphor of the, I guess you're using a computer network. So you, by the way, uh, work in networking, correct? Yeah. So I'm imagining you probably arrived at this um, partly or um, maybe consciously, maybe even subconsciously by seeing that these uh, different networks have to communicate with one another and that it requires a common um, language. And isn't it true that what EWP is attempting to do is kind of create this common, maybe a common philosophical language between yeah, entities. That's, yeah, that's true. And, and uh, to clarify, um, people can speak all kinds of different languages. And I think that our world, uh, that's one of the richness of, uh, of, our, of our global civilization is that we have so many different ideas, different ways of expressing things. But we have a way of of things being compatible. There's a there's a compatibility issue, and then similarly, we can have computers that run on all kinds of different operating systems, but they are compatible with each other. Um, and also, I'd say that you know the the driving force behind this project uh, is you know I, I'm I'm a concerned citizen. I'm concerned about the world and where humanity is headed. And for quite a few years, I've felt compelled to study and research topics that give insights into why things seem to be going badly in terms of human suffering, wars, disease, racism, environmental degradation, just to name a few. Uh, If we can point to evidence that the world has become a better place in recent decades, and and like, for example, Steven Pinker in his recent books, The Better Angels of Our Nature and Enlightenment Now, he does give a lot of good evidence that things have, uh, the world has become a better place actually in recent decades. Uh, Certainly since World War II, there's a lot less suffering, there's less death, uh, there's more peace. Uh, But uh, considering how much more violent and deadly uh, the world used to be 
the, the truth is we actually still have a, a, a ways to go. Um, uh, I don't even think that we're improving that much in recent years, and it seems that things have gotten worse. It does, in fact, seem that uh, you know what we have is we have millions of people living in chronic poverty. There is only a, a fraction of a percent of the ultra-rich elites who control most of the wealth, while millions of families have a hard time making ends meet. I, I wanted to understand the, the, the root causes of these large-scale failures. So I, I wondered if you could say a, a few words about maybe some of your major influences. Yeah, in terms of philosophy, I'm most influenced by Edmund Husserl, who is considered to be the founder of phenomenology, and also other thinkers such as Kant, Descartes, Diltai, and Ricoeur. Um, also in more recent years, Steven Pinker. And, uh, and I also want to mention uh, Anik DeWitt, who has done research into the categorization of worldviews and who recently launched an initiative called Worldview Journeys. I mean, you mentioned a number of influences, but is there one particular philosophy uh, that you have yourself, uh, that you subscribe to, or would you say you're adaptable? I believe in rationality and I embrace science, but I also consider myself to be spiritual, but not religious. I'd like to think that I'm adaptable in response to evidence. Uh, in my in my philosophy, there are uh, there's a lot that uh, can be considered evidence, more so than what other people might uh, think, you know, especially people who come from a, a scientific worldview. Um, I consider science to be maybe broader than they would they would think, and evidence uh, broader uh, what, than perhaps they would think. I consider a, a person's direct firsthand experiences to be evidence, that's evidence, and they might actually have extraordinary experiences that they can then explain well enough to other people to where such accounts can be considered solid evidence uh, to everyone else as well. Okay, so I'm just trying to understand this better. <clears throat> Maybe it wasn't a logic question, but it's a question about when you said uh, bringing your personal experience into something and, and then validating that. Are you talking about um, like a personal feeling towards something or a physiological ex experience or how would you describe that? Yeah, your, your firsthand experiences as they are experiences, uh, as they are experienced, are taken uh, serious. Uh, um, so I'm a phenomenologist and what this means for me is that we can get a more accurate understanding of the true nature of consciousness if we work to set aside what we thought we knew and all prejudgments and then take it in, in uh, as carefully as possible and consider our firsthand experience in the precise way in which they are presented to us. Um, and then from there, uh, such accounts can be mutually understood. We can describe that. We can have that understanding. Uh, now, there's, there is a lot of philosophical jargon surrounding this process, and I won't get into it now. Um, I think that phenomenology can be applied to mending differences because it is the only field that is focused on people's direct firsthand experiences. Uh, it is thoughts and feelings that we 
need to focus on if we want to understand why people disagree and how they might be able to find areas of agreement. I happen to believe that people do, in fact, have shared core values. If we peel back the layers of culture, if we go back to who we are naturally, we uh, are likely to find that we are more alike than we had otherwise thought. And I believe that modern phenomenology, using conjunction in conjunction with the uh, social, biological, and physical sciences, can get us there. Okay, so on your website, you propose that communication and understanding are the basis of most every social problem on Earth right now. Can you explain that? Well, I think the greatest problems on Earth are either caused by or made worse by people not communicating with each other effectively and not understanding each other. We tend to communicate well only among people of our own community, our own culture, uh, and our own nation. If our global civilization, uh, our lives are increasingly dependent upon each other, which is the case, we are increasingly interdependent on each other, and we can can, uh, definitely see that happening now with with this global pandemic. There uh, have been people who have uh, tried to minimize the spread of the virus across borders, but they are often met with suspicion and hostility. Uh, they have uh, they have uh, reasonable and evidence-based messages and analyses, uh, but they become the victims of smear campaigns, so they can't even do their work. They can't even use science and try to get the point across of here's what needs to be done to to protect people from getting infected, uh, prevent these infections from spreading further and deeper into communities and and to save lives. It's difficult. We don't even have, uh, you know, respect for science or, uh, you know, the ability to communicate across cultures and to to deal with problems that uh, the the, the world is facing, uh, the the acute problems uh, of our global civilization. We see similar uh, problems with those who are trying to fight climate change, uh, far too many people uh, just don't trust anyone outside their bubble, and c- cross-cultural and international communication needs to improve. So if people agree with you that communication is, is the fundamental problem there um, across cultures and between different people, um, how will the Enlightened Worldview Project address that? Well, yeah, so there is, you know, there is a guiding philosophy behind this, but philosophy is essentially... Uh, questioning attitude that we can take toward anything in life. And uh, science itself started out as philosophy. You know, so we, we, we've seen that science gives us knowledge of the world that has proven quite effective in allowing us to control and predict things, and in some cases to solve problems. I think that there, there is a scientific solution to this. There's a science of communication uh, that we need to create. We need to innovate on the existing science that we have, uh, and and in doing so, we're essentially doing philosophy, and then it becomes an innovation in science, and then we can practice that science. We can put it into practice, and science essentially has uh, built into any any legitimate science has benchmarks for is it effective or not? Is it working or not? And we need, so we need to come up with those innovations. We need to put this into practice. If you don't mind me going back to the software uh, mm-hmm. metaphor yeah. and, and the networking metaphor, how would you describe that in terms of the, of the network? Like in terms of 
before you, I think you used the um, the analogy of a, of a bug in the system, mm-hmm. or between um, programming languages, maybe not understanding each other. So, how would you describe this particular phenomenon? You know, in terms of uh, the computer model. Well, I'm not. You know, admittedly, I'm not sure if the the metaphor. Uh, goes that far because we constructed computers and computer networks. They were all designed, you know, with a purpose in mind. Uh, and we just are as humans, you know, we, we are divergent. I don't think that the divergence among humanity uh, and on all the, the different conflict, all these numerous conflicts and disagreements are necessary. You know, we, we can, I don't think anyone designed it that way. It just happened. You know, the world's a big place, but we can come together uh, now, I, I guess the only commonality I can think of with these computer systems is that maybe they were um, previously uh, uh, in different places, serving different purposes, you know, and uh, oh, and now we want them to connect to each other and we have to figure out some sort of a way in which data can flow between them, you know, in a, in a uh, uh, organized way. Okay, if I'm understanding you correctly, the, um, there are certain things that are getting in the way of uh, human connection and communication. And one of those things might be similar to, you know, how we brand things. We talked before about, you know, Mac versus uh, PC or, you know, the, the cultures that even surround that, even though you explained earlier that there's there's so many other ways that computers are communicating effectively. It's just that those names are getting in the way. So is there a connection between what I just said and for example, a person's worldview. Yeah, yeah. So you know, your worldview is uh, your your way of understanding the world, how you apply knowledge, and you know you, your your ethical framework, and how you how you go about engaging with the world. And uh, it actually, though, I don't think people's worldview is necessarily the the core beliefs which i think is something you're you're kind of you're kind of born with you're human but we have these worldviews which uh, are are given to us by by our culture in that case it can just be like a brand you know like christian versus islam versus you know judaism uh those uh those kind of brands i think might actually kind of get in the way and we might be able to find a certain commonality if we peel back the layers yeah, there's a lot of research that points to the fact, uh, you know, we have a, a friend in common who's doing cognitive bias research, and there's a lot of information on how the brain uses those categories as a convenient tool uh, so that we don't have to think so much. I mean, it's designed so that we can say, well, this person is of that, you know, race or origin or religion, and it reduces the amount of thinking we have to do to judge whether we can work with this person or, and those things are kind of getting in in the way right now, as we've seen uh, politically and socially. So, you know, if if I understand the connection correctly, then you, you are saying that, for example, with worldviews, if we trace the origins of your worldview back far enough, like for example, spokes on a hub, they will go back to a common area, and in that area, we will find that we all have much more in common than we realize. Um, is that correct? And if so, does that serve as a basis for how we will correct the path we are on now? It does. It does. And that's. I think that you know we're 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 definitely on uh, 
the wrong path where uh, humanity seems to even be going over a cliff. And I, I think we need a course correction. Okay. And so, uh, for example, um, can a religiously orthodox person find areas in common with like a less religious or an atheist? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we are all human and I believe we do indeed have shared values. Uh, in the politics and philosophy discussion group that I mentioned earlier, I see religious believers and atheists get along all the time. And so do you uh, believe that some of the methods that, that you're talking about will help us also get to that understanding? Absolutely, yes. Uh, because if, you know, if we peel back the layers of you know, the branding of our worldview, I think that we'll find uh, you know, probably a more open-ended worldview that is common among people. Now, there's, there's definitely plenty of room for people to have you know, their own religious or, or non-religious beliefs, but then to have this recognize there's a certain core of humanity that they have in common with each other. And we can have a way of, of communicating that and understanding through these, these innovations in communication. This is a little bit of a uh, tangent on that. And, uh, we can always come back to this later, but I have to ask you, so, uh, does this involve some type of, um, bifurcation of the self meaning like do you have to sacrifice um your core beliefs in order to get to this common place that you're talking about well you know it depends on you know i uh i guess i guess uh, i'll have to admit that you know some people's uh, not so much core beliefs but the you know the the package beliefs of their of their culture uh you know might actually be a little bit uh you know something that needs to be kind of adapted uh to to a more uh contemporary, modern way, uh, enlightened way of understanding and, and, and uh, to have this mutual understanding across cultures. So that leads me to my question about the uh, practicality of things and what you believe to be the most tangible, real-world ap- applications of EWP. Yeah, you know, uh, one important thing is that we are working on a guide for people to figure out what is true, what is credible, and what is inaccurate in the news. Uh, There is a set of criteria and a set of guidelines that can be applied to any claims that one hears uh, or sees coming from media outlets. Uh, In a way, we all need to be journalists and scientists in our own lives. It doesn't make sense to believe everything we are told, but nor does it make sense to have broad skepticism of everything. Uh, So this criteria we're working on includes things like considering the original source of the claim, how many times was it propagated uh, so as to limit hearsay, uh, whether the claim is consistent with your own personal first-hand observations, and several other things to be considered as well. Uh, We're also working to build a reasoned dialogue between elected officials, community organizers, religious leaders, and business leaders uh, since uh, a lot of such people hold significant sway in our society, but who often have deep uh, 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 beliefs that are deeply at odds with each other. So practically speaking, you'll actually bring these people together. I mean, physically bring them together in a forum like atmosphere where they can communicate and you'll set the groundwork using this methodology that yeah, you're yeah, describing, yeah. right? And then, uh, you know, in the... In the post-COVID age, it might not be physical. It might be kind of, you know, uh, virtual in some sort of way. But that's the idea is that we're going to have this facilitation of, of uh, communication. 
So I have to I have to ask. Uh, this will require a certain degree of wanting to change a uh, change one's mindset. I mean, there has to be. I mean, at the very least, this willingness that this isn't working and that we have to change uh, fundamentally our mindset, which which involves a degree of psychology. Would you agree? Yeah. So to get to that willingness, if you don't mind me asking, um, let's say you have those who are unwilling to part with some very deeply held uh, beliefs or emotions that are driving them. Um, you know, will you be exploring some methods to get us out of that? Well, well, for one thing, I'd like everyone to, to consider that their own ability to achieve peace and happiness in life depends in large part on living in a peaceful world. Also, it is difficult to find inner peace, for any of us to find inner peace if we live in a world with so much suffering and where the people around you are in conflict. Um, so that should be a motivation enough to find a way to, to have this mutual understanding and mutual communication and, and to, to have an open mind about how we can go about doing this. You would think just the news of the day would be enough to motivate people to want to be open to some new methods. Um, and on that topic, uh, can you outline where we're going from here? What are, what are some of your next steps? Uh, well, ideally, uh, we, want, we would like to see other people, even those who have never met each other, uh, and whose lives are, are uh, you know, I guess they would seemingly think largely disconnected from their own to understand each other at a deeper level. Uh, so there could be less conflict and more peace in, in the world overall. So for your part, you'll be bringing people together and they will be doing, I imagine, a lot of reading, research, writing. There will be uh, meetings coming up. Um, are there some ways that uh, you want to maybe encourage people to to join the effort? Or, or how can someone, for example, listening to this, who uh, feels inspired to get involved, how can they participate? Yeah, yeah. You can visit, visit our website, enlightenedworldview.com. And you can sign up for our newsletter. Uh, you can visit our Kickstarter pre-launch page, which uh, for, for some of you out there might already have been launched by the time you're uh, listening, you're hearing this. So we're going to launch in uh, early August uh, of 2020. Um, and you can pass this information on to your friends. Uh, we are also looking to recruit contributors to this project. And uh, I say we're looking for people who have uh, different backgrounds uh, than li uh, in life than, than, than me personally. Uh, this project needs to diverse perspectives in order to be successful. And if you are interested in getting involved, you can send me an email Brandon at enlightenedworldview.com. Okay, Brandon. So I understand that a lot of this uh, work will result in a book series. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, yeah, Seeking a More Enlightened Worldview. Uh, the first volume is going to be the methodology of how we're going to be going about doing this. Uh, and we have long-term plans for additional volumes that would use this methodology to try to actually solve problems. That's all for today's show. Thank you to Brandon Norgard of the Enlightened Worldview Project. If you would like to join this project, please visit enlightenedworldview.com. Thank you also to show producer Ivan Yurik for his help and to Dune Thomas for use of the podcast booth, a.k.a. Bathysphere. 
And since many people are on lockdown or in quarantine or in situations where schools are closed, but you still need access to supplemental classes, I wanted to let you in on something that could be helpful for you or your child. The good folks at academylearningcenters.com gave me the opportunity to develop any dream course I could imagine. So here's what I came up with. Hike storming. Learn how to improve thinking and problem solving through fitness. Disc golf math. Learn how to apply math to sports, starting with disc golf as an example. Team building and creativity for future world leaders. Learn coordination, cooperation, planning, visual spatial skills, how to prepare for difficult situations, creative problem solving, curiosity, and more through constructive activities. Gamify the world, game building 101. Students will come up with ideas on how to turn just about everything into a game, whether it involves uh, mowing the lawn, doing homework, or learning something in school. Uh, finally, there's podcasting for kids and the laptop and smartphone orchestra. You can find all these and other offerings at academylearningcenters.com. And if you would like more information about GliderCell, please visit glidercell.com. GliderCell works with forward-thinking, innovative organizations across many disciplines. You can contract with our organization to help you with course development and games and activities for professional development. We also do work in the areas of just general content development, strategy, and uh, narrative. On a smaller scale, we can help you with presentations, white papers, and social media. Basically, if it deals with knowledge and information, we can help you. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to the GliderCell podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me at lee at glidercell.com. Because what would the world be without musicians? If you acknowledge the humanity and the good intentions of both sides. Back when we used to have to hunt bison with spears. We cannot change vision of another person. Underneath the anger is fear. Well, I think the biggest crisis to their business must have been the uh, run on balsa wood sticks that occurred in 1987. <laughs> so, Lee, this is so much better than sitting around inside a room on chairs and talking. <laughs>